Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. What's up, guys? Welcome, welcome to a new episode, and I'm excited today to discuss about content strategy and pillar topics with James Sherrod. How are you? I'm very well, Anatoly. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to this. Yeah, it's a big pleasure. Check out your experience. Yeah, you know a lot about this topic. And before Doing we start, it, yeah. just tell <laughs> yeah, more about your experience, background, and why you decided to pay attention to this topic. For sure. Okay. So I was actually an English graduate. I graduated from university with a degree in, uh, you know, a subject that didn't have a whole lot of job opportunities. Um, mm -hmm. And so it was either, you know, work for Starbucks or get into marketing. So I kind of went down the marketing path and I was kind of fortunate enough to uh, just land serendipitously into a content marketing role. Um, I was working for a tech startup in Vancouver, Canada. And I found very quickly that I really enjoyed content creation and content marketing. And that kind of writing role became head of inbound, became uh, more recently at Codeless in the past three years or so, um, director of editorial and now VP of growth. So basically just, you know, growing initially in-house businesses through content and then more recently working um, through uh, creating, you know, strategy and content plans for our clients and having, having them see results is really, really exciting. Um, I think for me, the heart of it is the idea of merit-based marketing, creating something that's valuable and uh, attracts people to your business rather than going out and, you know, grabbing their attention. It's about creating something worth, worth getting your own attention, you know, worth them mm -hmm. paying attention to. Um, and that just really appeals to me on like a, I guess, professional and almost like almost emotional level. Um, it seems like a worthwhile pursuit. So that's why I love it so much. Yeah, nice, nice. Love your experience. Okay, uh, uh, let's start from the basics. Can you share more about pillar topics uh, and how we can unite them with uh, content strategy to uh, get results and why it's important to create them? For example, um, I can't tell that I'm using a lot pillar topics. I know it's important, but you know when you have a lack of resources, it's hard. <laughs> so uh, yeah. can yeah, it's better to tell how to. Uh, prioritize uh, creating content with pillar topics and why it's important. Absolutely. Okay. So basically the, the, the background of this methodology is that I, when I came on to, into, into, into Codeless, which is a content agency, um, it was, it was around, okay, what can I bring that is a methodology that can be um, duplicated and reuse over and over again for businesses of all types and in, in, in all verticals. And what is a content strategy that actually like, I have seen work and, and I feel really confident about then that can be used ubiquitously. Um, and for, you know, for the first year it was, I was trying some stuff. And then um, since around uh, kind of mid 2020, I've really started to see the clients who we use this pillar and post method for saw more significant results more quickly and more reliably. Um, and so that was like, okay, this is a winner. Let's go with this. And how it works is, is this, it's like, it's, it's actually, it's difficult to talk about the pillars on their own. So I'll talk about the pillar and post as, as a, as a um, kind of structure. So when starting from scratch with, with a content strategy, uh, you look into, okay, what are the categories of content that I, as a business owner or as, or as a, an agency want to be seen for um, categories being 
you know, if you do social media management software or something, then it would be, you know, you, you want to be found for um, scheduling and for social media based topics and best practices and optimizations or whatever. And <clears throat> within each one of those categories, you have pillars specific to it. And a pillar is a, a topic that is very, it's, it's the most competitive topic um, that you might go after within that category. And it's usually, usually uh, a high volume search term and a high competitiveness search term. The idea being that if you ranked for one of these pillars, that would be a massive win. You know, you, go, you can go home and, and, and relax for a weekend for sure. If you rank mm -hmm. on the first page for something like that. Um, the challenge with those is that they need support. So they need support from a number of different places. Definitely, um, you know, uh, external linking, you know, getting referring domains and stuff, but also just internal, you know, having a really uh, cohesive internal sitemap and, and link structure is really, really important. So the idea is that we publish those pillar topics first and foremost. We get them up, we get them indexed, they look beautiful, we, we invest highly in them. Um, you know, they're, they're usually long form um, and they are optimized as much as they possibly can be for search. Get them up first. Um, do them within each, every category that you've identified you want to rank within. Do three to five pillars within each category. And I would say do around three to five categories as well. So three to five categories of content you want to be found for, three to five pillars within each category, and then 15 to 25 support pieces within each category as well, supporting your pillars. Mm -hmm. So what we're talking about is, you know, um, 30 pieces of content within three categories of content is give or take 100 pieces of content. And for most businesses, 100 pieces of content is what I would advise over the course of a year. So very quickly, quite kind of naturally and happily, we were able to create a content strategy that, that is, if it's frequent publishing, it's supporting content by, you know, creating something that backlinks and internally links to, to, to the highly competitions, uh, the high competition stuff. Um, and it's a good cadence publication and it's usually about the upper end of what, of what most content teams can handle in any given month as far as frequency of, of publication goes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a lot, a hundred pages to mm. create. I think, yeah, it takes time. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, from my experience, for example, if I create a video content, everything mm. that I need to do just to film video to send to my video editors it's enough, you know, <laughs> and but yeah, yeah, when yeah. I create web page content, I need to write, to edit, to submit, to design, to <laughs> provide the web developers. Yeah. And a hundred pages. Yeah. I think it's, it's hard. Yeah. To create if we take eight months, I mean, you know, two a week, eight a month, it's mm -hmm. eight, eight or nine a month. It's yeah. It's, it's the upper edge of what most teams can handle. Um, but that's, you know, that's the frequency that I see kind of working, not least because, um, you know, I've been doing this for a while. And mm -hmm. if you asked me, can you tell me whether or not this article is going to succeed, whether or not this article is going to rank? Mm -hmm. um, the short answer is that no. You know, I, I think of myself as, as an SEO expert. And yet, it's all a bit of a crapshoot. You know, SEO is a gamble. You do everything you can possibly do from a best practices perspective. You drive your backlinks. You create amazing content. You target the right key phrases. And then you publish. And then you kind of cross your fingers. So publishing at that kind of frequency increases the chance that, you know, a significant amount of your content is going to be natural wins. And this is kind of the, this is kind of the, the quantity versus quality uh, argument as well, which is, you know, a very active controversy within SEO. Do you mm -hmm. publish a lot or do you, do you publish exclusively amazing content? 
And my answer is, is becoming, you publish a lot of good content. And then when it starts to rank, um, then you pay significant attention to it. When, it. when it's on the first page of Google, then you dive back in and say, okay, let's reinvest in this. Let's optimize this. Let's, you know, uh, make sure that the images are beautiful and that we've said everything we need to say on this, on this category, uh, on, on this topic, um, because it's actually getting views. Um, if you invest a thousand percent into every piece of all a hundred pieces I'm talking about, you're going to wear yourself out. You're going to burn out. The content quality is going to decline. Um, your engagement is going to decrease. Like it's just, it's just not a scalable strategy. So invest, you know, 75% in all 100 pieces. And then when they start ranking, go back in and optimize mm -hmm. them and make them amazing. Uh, you know, from my experience, even if you get 20% uh, of your pages uh, ranked, you know, <laughs> it's yeah, a good result. Yeah. yeah. Because the Pareto principle works well uh, <laughs> with SEO oh, yeah. field. Yeah. So uh, I think, uh, uh, okay, um, you know, for example, let's compare with other <clears throat> strategies. Uh, we have many different uh, SEO strategies. Uh, one of them is called uh, 10 times better content. Uh, yeah. We have strategies uh, like skyscraper technique when you need to create uh, much better content than existing and promote it. But yeah. with pillar pages, uh, that means you need to create uh, content with topics that have other high quality content online. It's hard to overcome them, especially uh, uh, when you have limited resources or, uh, for example, if I create pillar content uh, for SEO, I can compete uh, with the keyword SEO with Ahrefs, MRush, Neil Patel, sure. any other. Yeah. So uh, that means I need to create this page uh, for the sake of having it or why I need to create it? just to increase weight for other pages that I have. For example, uh, um, uh, let's imagine I have 100 pages. That means I know that I can't promote with my resources 80% uh, uh, of them. That means I need mm -hmm. to create them just to increase weight for other pages that uh, where I'm going to get traffic. Yeah, so it's, it's a great question. Um, the short answer is that the pillars that I recommend you create aren't the most competitive topics in the category. Like if you're trying to rank for SEO, I wouldn't suggest that you target the primary keywords because as you say, uh, the domains that are already ranking for it and the amount of content on them and the domain reputation and the domain, like the main, the main authority is far too big for the majority of businesses to possibly compete with. So don't try. The pillars that I'm recommending you create are what is a reasonable topic that is my pie in the sky, but that I can see? Like I can rank for this topic. I believe that if I do my job as effectively as I possibly can do, I can rank for this key phrase. And the short answer is that like, that's not every art, that's not every search term. If you're in, you know, if you're in my space, trying to rank for uh, inbound marketing, for instance, um, I'm never going to outrank HubSpot. They invented that term. You know, if I'm trying to rank for SEO, I'm not going to outrank Brian Dean or SEMrush or Ahrefs or Google itself. Like it's not, it's not going to happen. <laughs> so, so, well, well, I want to drive traffic to my site and, I, and my mm -hmm. client's sites. And I, I want to do that in six to nine months. I know I'm not necessarily going to do it in three, but I want to do it before the end of the year for sure. So what are the actually attainable pillars? And this is where it gets a little bit nuanced this is where like, the experience of the person kind of comes in because identifying the pillars that are actually attainable, but still ambitious is challenging. Um, 
but I guess what I'm saying is that the pillars that you identify for each category don't have to be like, if the pillar is SEO, sorry, if the category is SEO, the pillar isn't SEO. The pillar is local SEO or SEO for SaaS or, you know, another high volume search term that is very competitive, but is not the name of the category, you know, in search. Um, but yes, once you identify the, the pillars that are actually remotely attainable for you to for you to drive to actually rank for then their creation like i'm only creating them because i do want them to rank it's the support content's role to support them so if i create an article on local seo um, that's my pillar i get that index first and foremost and then i create support content around local seo around google my business around um you know, page algorithm updates and whatever, whatever, shorter, perhaps shorter form, lower competition content that can very easily relate to and link back to my pillar. And those are the ones that realistically I'm hoping are going to rank in the shorter term because um, they have a more, they have a higher chance of doing that. You know, if, if, if the competition, like either in Ahrefs or on, on SEMrush or whatever is saying that like your support content is, is, has a competition or a KD level of, 10 to 15, I feel more confident that a matter of my domain authority, if I create a great piece of content, promote it well, link it with my other support content, that there is a, I have a good chance of ranking that on the second or you know third page within the next few months for the primary key phrase, let alone the other ones that it, it, it might rank for. And as soon as I get that support content to the second page of Google, really as soon as I get it ranking at all, but really as soon as I get it ranking well, then the value of the internal links that that support content is sending to my pillar increases. Ranking content has a higher value internal link and external link than non-ranking content. Just like a high domain authority website has, high, has, has more value, the internal links that you get from a high domain authority website are worth so much more than an internal link from, or an external link from a bad domain authority website. So if I can get my support content to rank, then, it makes it way easier for me to get my pillar code, a content to rank. Yeah, got it. Yeah, interesting about that. Okay, we have the question uh, from uh, Haider Ali uh, about yeah. IE. What do you think? Do Can we use IE tools uh, to create these pillar pages? Uh, or, for example, uh, yeah, uh, let's... Um, I think uh, another way. Uh, for example, um, uh, I have limited resources. Uh, only... Mm -hmm. Uh, two writers, uh, one editor, uh, I don't know, uh, designer. And uh, I, I know that I can't create 100 uh, pillar pages. If I create the best content, uh, valuable content for some pages where I, uh, I'm going to get traffic and uh, using AI tools for other pages where I, I'm feeling that I can't compete with HubSpot or many other uh, big yeah. brands, what do you think about that? So AI... Is it's it's a, it's a broad term. So there's AI written content, and then there's AI helping you create content. Mm -hmm. AI written content is the idea you just plug in a search term, hit go, and it writes an article for you. And I've looked at a lot of the tools, and they're a lot of the a lot really early days. The majority of the tools are actually creating content from you from scratch. Um, they are still in their infancy is my assessment of them. I've looked at three or four um, because, you know, as a content agency, we're, we're producing four, 400 articles a month. So if I could get, you know, an AI tool to write 200 of them, um, then I'm, I, my entire business model changes. Um, but it's not there yet. 
the reason is that AI written content by definition can't provide anything novel, everything, anything new whatsoever. And for the majority of SaaS and B2B spaces, uh, you can't rank without having you know, a truly novel idea, um, bringing something new to the table, bringing some level of thought leadership to it because you won't get engagement. Um, and engagement is a key factor in SEO. The other reason is that realistically, it's very difficult for an AI tool to assess uh, similar content to what it's creating or content that's ranking for the primary key phrase that you've put in um, and pull together something that sounds natural. Um, I think just from a, from a technological perspective, it's, it's a really challenging thing. Uh, so inevitably, you're going to have to pay somebody to go back in and review that content and tweak it and edit it and make it sound natural and human. Um, the challenge there is that if you ask the majority of our writers, we have 75, 85 freelance writers. If I ask them, would you rather go in and edit a 2000 word article where every paragraph is just slightly off and just sl sounds slightly weird and non-human, um, they would say, no, I'll write an article from scratch every time because it's so much more difficult to tweak, uh, you know, content that somebody else has written and is not quite right than it is just to write the damn paragraph yourself. So, yeah. hey, it's not quite there. Now, does that mean it's not going to be there for some verticals? I think that for the in a financial space, I think for like the stock analysis, when you're just putting kind of facts and you're putting like uh, words between stats and between facts, it, it works. I think it, it works better. I think the B2C space, I think when you're doing kind of product oriented stuff and you just put in descriptors of your products and have the tool amalgamated into something that's kind of cohesive, sure. Maybe in the medical space, maybe, but for B2B and SaaS, where thought leadership is so key and analysis and context and, uh, you know, all that stuff, kind of stuff is so important, it's not quite there. Now, AI can help you create great content and talking, going back to you, you, know, you have your limited writers, your limited editors, et cetera. Um, I would say that tools that allow you to drop in existing content or allow you to drop in a drafted content and check it against the competition, tools like Phrase or ClearScope or SEO Surfer or Market Muse or whatever, um, those are all extremely helpful. And that is AI, that is AI helping you create better content by identifying what your content is missing that the competition is not, the ranking competition is not. Um, I mean, hell, like, you know, we've been using word, doc, uh, word processors for a long time. The little red line that goes beneath a misspelled word, that's AI helping you create better content. That's, 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 that's the beginning of what became Grammarly and Hemingway and, and, and whatever. You know, those tools that, again, use AI to identify actually the grammar is wrong here, or actually you could improve the cadence of this, set, this, this um, section to, to read better. Um, so all those tools, Hemingway having the readability score, Grammarly doing really excellent grammar checks, um, and let alone the plagiarism checks that allow AI to immediately identify whether or not your freelancer is, has plagiarized. All of these tools are, are AI. Um, you know, we, we use a tool, relatively straightforward, but we use a tool called Wordable um, that takes content from a Google Doc and at a click, imports it into WordPress, formatted, clean, tidy, meta title, meta descriptions, all your images. And it's, it's, you know, it's one of those small little baby tools, but at the same time, that's, that is technology and software that help you do content marketing at scale um, without a massive headache and allows you theoretically to create 100 pieces of content every month with two writers and an editor. Uh, or sorry, every, every year, not every month, God. Um, but 
Mm-hmm. Ideally, technology allows you to scale and allows you to maximize the kind of what you can do um, without sacrificing quality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, guys, um, it's better to use AI tools, but edit, you know, <laughs> just check out results, oh, yeah. edit them uh, manually. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, for example, I'm using AI tools. Yeah? I, I like to write descriptions with AI tools because I know that I, I can do myself, but it takes uh, longer. <laughs> you know, I need yeah. to spend uh, so much time, you know, to create content. But with AI tools, if you edit and provide some manual job, yeah, Results will be great. So, yeah. uh, but AI tools are not ready to replace uh, human. Uh, they, they can yeah. help, you know, to categorize, to provide some context, but uh, not replacing. Okay, you know, yeah. I, I have a bunch of my questions, but uh, you know, I invited some people, so let's. It's better sure. to reply to their questions. Uh, okay, which type of link outreach will be more beneficial and suggested to use internal link or external link? What do you think? Um, I mean, it's, it's a kind of an interesting question because realistically, you don't, you, you shouldn't have to do link outreach to get internal links. Um, yeah. uh, internal linking is about having a very intentional, cohesive structure around how you're linking all of your articles to themselves, to the pillars and to your site's content, um, mm-hmm. which is just around whenever you publish anything and know what it's supporting internal link, like internally, um, require your writers to feature three other related articles within their content with anchor text that is relevant to that content and what it's trying to write for. Um, make sure that you're linking to your high priority, you know, site pages as much as possible. Again, this is all around having like a cohesive site map that how am I interlinking everything and what is the structure and is it, is it, is it a solid one? Um, so that kind of is a, just should be default for your entire business all the time. External linking and driving refrain domains is a different thing. That's, you know, somebody's full-time job or that's you hire a link, a link building service. Um, and those, you know, it, those agencies or those businesses have a bit of a reputation because it's very easy to get low quality domain authority backlinks to a site. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's very hard to get high domain authority backlinks to a site. And it's difficult for people who aren't, you know, relatively experienced in this in this in this industry to know the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, but the short answer is that in SEO, backlinks are still the most valuable SEO variable that we have. Yeah, let's say that they're one of the most valuable SEO variables that we have. So investing in them, um, I would say exclusively if the domain authority is high, is worth doing. We, we, uh, so at, at Codeless, which is the agency I work for, we've worked quite closely with a link building service. And um, the, when, when we have clients who sign up for combo plans, doing content production and link building, um, those clients see higher traffic and higher ranking positions far more quickly than the clients who only do content publication. Mm-hmm. Um, so we try to now, because you know, we, we, we have better retention with clients who see results, of course, So we try to make it our default that if you're going to get content from Codeless, you need to also be, you know, working with the user of the link building company we work with um, to drive backlinks to it because you're going to see higher results more quickly and you're going to stick around longer because you see success. Mm -hmm. So hugely important, absolutely hugely important, but only high domain authority websites. Yeah, got it. Uh, Yeah, you know, uh, I think that... uh... 
all the masters can create internal links. So <laughs> just yeah. find them. I usually use Google search and uh, some pages that have high uh, authority according to HRF, SEMrush. I analyze them. If I see that I can, uh, yeah, I just add backlinks to some pages where I want to promote. Can you tell how to uh, interlink pillar pages? Do we need to create some, uh, I don't know, like uh, on the left side menu or uh, any other uh, technical aspects, how to uh, in interlink them? Because uh, uh, I think, um, yeah, uh, many different methods. What do you think, which way is better, you know, to interlink this content? Uh, so, I mean, if you use the pillar and post content method, then mm -hmm. your content plan is broken down by category. So every category, as I mentioned, every mm -hmm. category has pillars and every pillar has support or, or each category has both pillar and support. Um, if that's the kind of content methodology they're using, the content strategy that you're using, then you know, going into writing any support piece, what the priority pillar URL you, you need to be linking to is. Um, also, I would say every three months or so, go, go back into your pillars and prioritize internal linking to your highest ranking support content as well. So you know, go into Ahrefs or whatever and pull your ranking URLs or your, your, your uh, ranking keywords and identify uh, what are the in support pieces that are just off the second page and link to them from your highest ranking and highest traffic URLs because that's going to boost them up to the first, theoretically. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's, 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 it's around knowing what I'm linking to, having a, a clear plan with intention on how I'm internally linking from a support content to my pillars and then doing it um, in a natural way. I mean, having related reading sections at the bottom of every article is, is worthwhile. And I think I would, I, I would recommend people do that. I would recommend that those are um, written by the writer that is dynamic. It's not a, it pulls, you know, our article because you do want to be, you want to actually drive click throughs. Mm -hmm. If you write an article on Facebook and then your related reading is all on uh, LinkedIn, but you have a bunch of Facebook content, then you're missing a trick because the fact mm -hmm. of the matter is, is that bounce rates are, a, are absolutely a high negative variable for SEO. So if I can use related reading sections and internal links to get somebody to click through to the next page of my blog article or of my blog or my site, I should do that as much as I possibly can. And having relevant internal links within the content and within a related reading section is part of that, which is why I also don't recommend like people do have, you know, like most popular articles in the sidebar inside of their blog. That's all well and good. I would recommend, you know, you, you can do that for gated content. Mm -hmm. But I would say that unless you have really comprehensive tagging structure where that is dynamically changing based on the tag of the article, that's fine. But in general, I would suggest people do know what are the actual articles that I have on my site that are most relevant to this one. And I'm going to link to them. Um, and also the pillar that it's supporting for sure. But make them as relevant as possible simply because bounce rates are so massive. Yeah, well, you well, nice. well explained. Nice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Okay, we have the next question from Navin Giovanni. You know, yeah, she asks so many questions. Thanks a lot. Uh, in the content, how uh -huh, how my long tail keywords should be used? How to link the other support pages to my web page content? 
So the first question I'm going to interpret as in an, in an article, how many keywords should we be targeting? Yeah. Long form and short. Um, it's a good question. In Ahrefs or in SEMrush, whenever you pull a content plan, um, you often find, you often come up against this question of like, does this additional keyword require a new article? Mm-hmm. Or can I rank with this article for that keyword? So every article that I write and that, I, that our writers write, I don't write content anymore, but mm-hmm. I enjoy strategizing around it. Um, every article that we do has a primary keyword. Primary keyword is nine times out of 10, the high volume search term that we're targeting primarily with the article. Um, if there is related secondary keywords that Ahrefs or SEMrush or whatever malls are telling us about that have lower volume, um, but aren't so different that they don't deserve another article, then I would just drop them in secondary key phrases. So when the writer drafts content, they um, use a tool like phrase or ClearScope or, or whatever, and they drop in their draft and they make sure it's optimized for the primary key phrase. Mm-hmm. And then they also make sure it's optimized for the secondary and tertiary key phrases. In general, though, I would only say that the, article, the majority of the articles we create should only have one primary and two secondary key phrases, really. Um, because otherwise you spread yourself too thin and you lose optimization for the primary key phrase. Also, if there's significant traffic for, say, say it's a, you know, face best practices versus Facebook post examples or Facebook post best practices versus Facebook post examples. Um, those could be two disparate articles because there's significant search volume for each. And I would rather invest heavily in each one of them than in one big article and try to optimize for both. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, if you do something like uh, um, social media management, I would say that what is social media management, which may look like a different key phrase on that, you know, technically it's a long tail key phrase um, on Ahrefs. It looks different on Ahrefs and SEMrush. Um, it's not like the what is uh, key phrase is always should always just go into the comprehensive guide to social media management, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Um, but yeah, I would say no more than two or three long tail or secondary key phrases in, in, in any given piece. And we're talking as well that like articles should be between 1,250 and 2,500 words. Um, mm-hmm. Nothing really needs to be longer than that anymore. Um, and if you do go above 2,000, make sure that you have a table of contents linking to each of your H2s mm-hmm. or subheaders to get people to navigate easily. Um, as far as how to link to support content within my web page content, that's actually a totally legitimate question and a challenging one. Um, mm-hmm. In general, I wouldn't worry about linking to your blog content from your site. Link to your site from your blog content all the time. Mm-hmm. But don't risk adding links to your conversion-oriented pages simply to get internal links to your blog content. In general, your site should be optimized for conversion and your blog optimized for search. And we have a lot of clients who struggle with that because they want their product pages and their landing pages and whatever to to, to rank first for the primary key phrase. And the fact of the matter is, is that while it can be done, it's really, really hard. And you're going to find that you will rank organically for blog content related to your product far more easily than you will rank product or feature page content um, or site pages. Um, Long form content ranks more easily than short form conversion oriented content. And if you try to throw in 
a lot of written content into a product or feature page, um, you're going to reduce conversions mm -hmm. because you're going to be overwhelming your visitors and you're going to be distracting them from the primary conversion goal, which is book a demo or whatever it is. Um, so don't do it. Like just, it's mm -hmm. just, it's just not, it's just not worth it. Uh, the idea is that you collect people in the top of your funnel with blog content and then send them to a middle of funnel or a bottom of funnel product page and then they convert. That's it. Don't, don't go, don't go like this. <laughs> like it just doesn't mm -hmm. work. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, by the way, it's interesting about support pages. Uh, it's possible about page about us, contact pages. Yeah. Uh, possible about that. So uh, I usually use them in the bottom or in the top <laughs> and yeah be because um, these pages are important for uh, your money your life and other filters like expertise authority trust because most customers check out who you are for example if you are amazon yeah you don't need to add these pages probably yeah. amazon has but for many websites if you have no strong brand recognition yeah it's better to submit these pages as well so why not? Yeah. Okay, we have the next good question. Does the strategy work well for affiliate terms? Like a pillar best product supported um, with other low competition best products or for something supporting how to articles? Do we really need to interlink between the supporting articles pages? Yeah. Uh, does the strategy work well for affiliate terms? Yes. Um, do we need to interlink between the supporting articles and pages? Absolutely, you do. Yes, 100%. Uh, let's dive into that a little bit, though. Um, okay. I would say that, yeah, the pillar there is going to be best product. Um, though the majority of affiliate search terms and key phrases have enough volume that, like, best product for, you know, best backpack for camping is going to have enough search volume that that can be its own pillar. Mm -hmm. Um so I would say the supporting content then is uh, how to choose the best backpack for camping or, you know, uh, best backpack for, um, you know, uh, backpacking the Appalachians, you know, or a specific location or like best backpack for cold weather, best backpack for summer, uh, best backpack for children. Those are your supporting articles that are supporting the best backpack for camping pillar. And all of them need to be linked to that article and vice versa, I would say genuinely. Sorry, all of the support content needs to be linked to the pillar. Uh, because there's such a higher volume of support content, if you try to link to every one of your support pieces from your pillar, your pillar is just gonna end up being, you know, a couple words and 25 links. Mm -hmm. So focus on linking to your pillar from your support content. That said, if you have support content that and I mentioned this already, if you support content that's ranking on the top of the first top of the second page, almost on the first page and almost driving significant traffic for you, linking from a high ranking, high traffic pillar piece could be the differentiating factor between that ranking on the second or first page, which could be a difference between, you know, getting no traffic at all or a few hundred a month um, from that individual URL or that individual key phrase. So do consider that, which is why it's so important to keep an eye you know, on a weekly or bi-weekly basis on your organic keywords within your SEO tool. Because you don't want to miss an opportunity like, oh, if I'd noticed that that URL was ranking on the top of the second page, I could have done something to get it to the first. Um, mm -hmm. And I have wasted, you know, a month not paying attention to my step, my, my, my SEO analytics. So, you know, if, if, if it had moved three weeks ago, I could have had, you know, a thousand more visitors that I didn't have because I wasn't paying enough attention. Mm -hmm. So just be aware of that. Um, Another little note for the affiliate market, 
we have seen um, a significant since uh, the May-June algorithm change uh, in 2021. We have seen a decline in ranking positions for extremely long-form affiliate content. So we you know those best of affiliate articles. I, I say affiliate. Um, that's the stereotype, and the clients that we have within that space. That's the kind of the, the style of content that we create, which would be like the three thousand, four thousand, five thousand word affiliate-oriented product breakdown articles. The massive listicles of one hundred and fifty uh, backpacks for camping um since the may june algorithm uh which was oriented around page experience we have seen a decline in ranking positions for massively long articles uh i think it's likely that the user experience you know it weighs more within google's algorithm um and those pages are you know too massive for the majority of readers to really get value from unless the site structure is extremely good. And even then it's really challenging. Also by definition, those pages are extremely high. You know, if you have 101 products, you usually have 101 images, which even if you're compressing them to 250 kilobytes are still, it's still a huge, you know, it's still a huge amount of data on a single page. Mm -hmm. Also you have your affiliate links in every single one of the images or probably there's multiple CTAs on the site as well. Those pages are just heavy and Google is cut, you know, really cracking down on overly heavy site design so um just be aware of that i would recommend slimming down your affiliate content and really focusing on the products that drive value for you mm -hmm. nice nice love it okay the next question if we use web links on social media or email communications will it count as backlinking too <laughs> what do you think uh it used to uh it doesn't anymore <laughs> um not there it's it's i mean Having links within your email is is good just to get people who see your emails to click through and go to your website mm -hmm. or whatever. But there's no link value. They're all no follow. Um, we used to, oh, in the good old days, when I was in-house, we used to have somebody whose job it was to go onto Quora and answer questions related to our product. So, you know, like best landing page, it was, we were did uh, marketing software. And it was like landing page, best practices or whatever. We would answer uh, and then do a backlink. And those backlinks used to be do follow. Um, they are not anymore. None mm -hmm. of them are, really. Uh, pretty much every site, social media community uh, is, 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 is no follow now. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> By the way, it, it, it's a very good question. You know, Naveen, I, I can tell oh, yeah. you. Yeah, don't, uh, you know, don't try to get only do follow links. You know, it doesn't matter. You know, if you can get links from email, uh, your emails or uh, get some traffic from social media, it's indirect factor. It's phenomenal. Totally. No, you can get high results. For example, you know, it's interesting that I found on one uh, financial blog uh, that uh, uh, competitors of this blog uh, get links from Forbes, Wikipedia, many other uh, recognizable websites. All of them uh, are no follow, but it helps to satisfy uh, the parameter your money, your life, you know, because when uh, big websites 
link to you uh, and the links are, are no follow it doesn't matter you know because uh, yeah. you can get this recognition so SEO is not only about do follow links it's more about getting uh, or creating brand awareness on social media if you use emails and get traffic from there uh, just think uh, when people uh, are looking uh, some keywords on Google and can see your brand and other brand but they've seen before uh, on email list so they can click it it improves uh, CTR um, yeah I think it's better yeah, uh, not to care a lot about that <laughs> okay. yeah I would agree yeah okay we have uh, other questions uh, uh, no not stupid question uh, if you use long tail keyword exactly uh, would it I be checked for plagiarism what do you think <laughs> uh, like as in the article title um, no no I mean mm -hmm. plagiarism is when you're duplicating written content from another site I, you're mm -hmm. going to be totally fine if you use long tail key phrases as your article header mm -hmm. yeah uh, you know uh, I remember when I discussed this topic with Lily Ray and uh, mm -hmm. she replied to me she uh, didn't use keyword density or anything else for over uh, 10 years something like this oh, wow. <laughs> so she, yeah she doesn't care about density uh, and other keywords and if you write yourself um, you know for example when I write some articles I never check out uh, uh, plagiarism and any other stuff because I know I wrote myself uh, even if, if I submitted some uh, long tail keywords uh, if I remember correctly uh, plagiarism uh, it means when you have six words uh, that can repeat on other websites yeah but yes. uh, if yeah, you submit yeah. Yeah, if you submit the, these keywords, okay, just don't care a lot about that. You can submit quotes from famous authors. Why not? Um, yeah, totally. Yeah, but do you. but do check if if you work closely with freelancers, mm -hmm. and there's a concern like because if they've written the article before, they may we, we have had instances where freelancers will just pull sections from their previous content and drop it into new articles, and mm -hmm. that's not okay at all but you're absolutely right yeah quotes from people yeah 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 that's perfectly all fine. Good. yeah yeah hey, when you, you still uh a half of content you know from others you know 50 percent yeah it's uh it's better not to do it but if you use quotes or long tail keyword that's okay yeah oh, yeah totally fine. absolutely yeah okay we can <clears throat> reply to the last question uh can you just give a strategic solution for a relevant product page like what is the vital list to have it on the product page i'm not totally sure if i understand the question um uh, what is the vital list to have on the product page the attached solution for a relevant product page like what is the vital list to have uh, it on the product page it's more about uh, uh i don't know it's like uh when you create pillar content possible we can unite with product pages and uh, you know yeah by the way it's interesting question because uh when i thought about uh, this uh, strategy uh, we have many different uh, intent you know different intent to this pages some of them uh informal i don't know others my uh, e-commerce uh and how to i don't know to group them or categorize uh, in uh, different clusters and yeah to interlink you know, something like this what do you feel <laughs> yeah well i mean the, the pillar and post method is like uh, from my perspective pretty much blog exclusive so we're only mm -hmm. talking about long-form blog content because we're trying mm -hmm. to rank organically uh -huh. for yeah. blog content on search 
um, product page structure is, again, for me, irrelevant to SEO because the goal of your product pages shouldn't be to support your blog content um, or to rank themselves. Mm-hmm. Product pages should be, and this the other component of it is that like, I can't possibly tell you what to include on your product page because the reality of the situation is that neither you nor I know what's going to convert on your product page. Mm-hmm. Uh, create a product page that talks about the things that you think are relevant to your prospects pain points, what your product or your service brings to the table, what's unique about you that you do no one else does. Um, create that page, make it beautiful, make it optimized for conversion and then immediately test it and then continue testing it. Because the fact of the matter is that you do everything based on best practices uh, and those best practices could be totally valid for every business except yours. Mm-hmm. Um, so A-B test, multivariate test, drive significant traffic, um, get statistically significant or not even statistically significant conversion results, um, and then iterate and then iterate again and then iterate again. Um, but don't worry about, you know, linking to the pillar of post method whatsoever from your, even really from your website pages. Um, but absolutely support your, those pages from your site. You know, if you're doing affiliate or B2C content, um, link to the product-oriented, conversion-oriented pages of your website for sure, because that's how you're going to get traffic to them or a way to get traffic from them. Call that the direct nice. traffic source. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. Thanks a lot for watching us. Yeah, it's a big pleasure, James, you know, to get you on my show, you know, because yesterday we learned from Neil Patel. Today we learned from you, you know. Yeah, uh, a lot of valuable stuff. Uh, tell our audience how they can reach out to you, learn more about you, follow you. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, So again, I work for a content agency called Codeless, codeless.io. I love this stuff. So I'm more than happy to talk to people. If you want, you can email me at james at codeless.io. I'd be happy to get into it Um, or head to the website and check us out. I'm on Twitter at JD Shear. The last name is J-D-S-C-H-E-R-E-R. You can see it there. Uh, J and then D is in Delta, Shear. Or LinkedIn, just search me. I'm the VP of growth at Codeless. Thank you, Anatoly. Yeah. Okay, guys, you can find all these links in the description below. Listen us on Google, Apple, Spotify. Thanks again for your time. Yeah, it's a big pleasure. Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.